When your ideal customer's kids are begging every night to read your book, you've won. At Dinosaur House, we turn industry leaders into kids' book authors. We don't do it because it's a super fun thing to do, although it is. We do it because it's highly strategic. Imagine if every night your customers are being asked by their kids to read a book that your company made. Talk about brand affinity. You're helping your customers connect deeply with the most important thing in their lives, their kids, over something that they are passionate about that has to do with your industry. If you want to have a conversation with us about how your brand could become the author of a kid's book, just hit us up, dinosaurhouse.com. Hit the little button that says schedule a story design call. And we'll have a jam session together on just what your company's kids book could and should be. Hi, everyone. I'm Stacey Heuser, the co-founder of Narrative, a earned-led creative agency that places brands at the center of culture. And you are listening to The Purpose Driven Entrepreneur. What's up, everybody? It's Timmy Bauer. And... Thank you so much. You're listening to another episode of The Purpose Driven Entrepreneur. My guest today is Stacy. Stacy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Stacy, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, my first question for you is if you could just break down for me what it is that your business is in like really um, layman's terms. Like what is it that your company does? What is it that you sell? To who do you sell it to? And, um, and what's your growth been like? Okay. So I am the co-founder of an agency called Narrative, the Narrative Group. We are a creative agency that works in the brand space. So our customers are brands yeah. and we develop their creative platforms to go to market. That could mean the what their brand stands for, what their brand looks like, what their brand says, or that could be a product that they are launching or a service they're launching or refreshing for that matter. So um, we essentially do creative for brands. Gotcha. And started, when did you, yeah, when yeah. did you start it? I started the agency in 2009 with a partner and we, speaking about our growth, um, we grew the agency to um, a, a very healthy, thriving business. And then we ended up actually selling the company to a larger company in 2017. Mm. Um, and since 2017, we've had tremendous growth and a lot of um, interesting pivots, you know, as, as we, as most people did through COVID. And today we are over a hundred employees in New York and LA mostly. And I still very high level, but, but work at the agency in, in sort of a overarching strategic consulting capacity. Yeah. What, what is it like to work at a company that you sold? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I sort of liken it to what it would probably feel like um, to have a child go off to college. Okay. In some way, um, you know, as we were growing the, the business, it was my baby, and I was so protective over every decision and every aspect of of the um, decision making process. You know, whether that was what color our logo was going to be, or you know who we were going to hire, or how we were going to scale. Um, and now that the agency is its own entity that's owned by somebody else, it's living, breathing, and it can survive without me, which for a long time it couldn't. 
it's, it's sort of like, I love that. And I'm so proud of that, but I also have a little bit of, you know, like, no, it's still my baby, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not anymore, which is fascinating and, and really special. Yeah. Talk me through, um, how, so what, what were you doing right before you started the company? So I worked in public relations and I had worked for lots of companies, both in-house and on the agency side. And I went off on my own to freelance. And so I was sort of doing a unique hybrid of PR and marketing for um, different brands, clients that would would hire me to do that. So was this sort of like, um, it, it sort of like blended from you freelancing or how, what did the starting of this company look like? Sure. So I, as I said, I was freelancing and, you know, PR is all about connections and who, you know, and making connections. And I had been introduced to another young woman that was also freelancing, but she was more on the events side. So she was producing large events for brands. Um, and so we kind of would, would hire each other for things. So she would do something and then hire me to do the PR, or I would bring her in and have her create an event for a client. So there was a lot of synergy. And one day at the time I was 27. So I was quite young, 26, 27. Um, ignorance is bliss. And we just said, we should start a company together. We really had no plan or business plan or blueprint or model. Um, and we just said, okay, yeah, we're going to do that. So we, we got one big client together and we used that client to essentially start a new entity together called the narrative group. And we were off to the races. Got it. And what was that big client looking for from you back then? Um, they were actually looking at, so something that was a little bit unique about us is that I was from LA, born and raised. She was from New York, born and raised. And we sort of had this influential social circle that we were either directly or indirectly connected to. So this was sort of back in the Us Weekly days when celebrities and paparazzi and being seen at the right places was really important. And br bigger brands were starting to notice this. And we, unlike these big giant, you know, communications agencies that had you know, offices all over the world. Like we were so locally focused in these very influential markets that we had a very large brand come to us and say, we're launching, it was actually a pasta sauce. We're launching this new pasta sauce and we want to do something really interesting and different and splashy in LA with celebrities. Like, what do you guys recommend that we do? And we created a whole program for them around our kind of knowledge, industry knowledge, but then also connections and, and you know, we were very early days of, of brand ambassadors and celebrity deals and things like that. What were the hardest things about the early days of the company? You know, it's funny. It's an interesting question because the hardest things were, I think, really feeling confident in our decision-making because we, we had no experience we were just creating this, the rules as we went. And of course we would ask mentors and, you know, seek advice, but it was sort of, you know, when we would decide something, whether it was the first office that we got or the first employee that we hired, these big decisions where it didn't just affect us, it was affecting, you know, we were signing contracts for leases and people were relying on us for their um, livelihood. That's, that's scary. Um, and it was, it was, we were doing a lot off intuition and, you know, that proved to be successful. We obviously made mistakes, but um, I think it's, in, it, 
if I really had to say on the whole, when the stakes get higher, the decisions get scarier. So yeah. I look back on the early days with so much fondness. There was more, while there was trepidation and nerves, those were much more overshadowed by the excitement of what it could be and the creation process. So, you know, the stakes weren't as at, weren't that high at that at that first kind of beginning startup stage. Gotcha. The the world of like PR and just th that that world just feels so foreign to me and also not just foreign but like like what is that? Like what like what is the value that's really being provided? I don't understand it. Like we talked before I hit record. I'm very essentialist in my mentality yeah. around business. Um, what is like, what are companies, what were companies coming to you looking for? And how has that, I would imagine in 2009, it was probably very different, but like, what was like, like, have you figured out like tried and true things? Like when customers come to us, these are the kinds of things that we do for them. And um, like, like, what is the value that you're providing and that what, like, what is making a happy customer? Sure. Well, in the early days, you know, like I said, we really started as a PR agency. Today, currently, where we sit as a company is we're much more of a creative agency. So we kind of come up with the big ideas. And then PR is one way we amplify those ideas along with social, along with maybe creators or influencers. So it, it's more of a tool um, for amplifying your ideas. And to answer your question, um, how has it changed and sort of like, what is the value? I think before social was as influential as it is, the only place people could find out about your products were in, you know, the Today Show or magazines or, mm. um, you know, the, that's how the word got out, blogs and. Uh-oh, you're frozen. <laughs> hey, Den, so we're going to cut the answer that she just gave because it, skipped out on us. Um, so Stacy, if you just want to retake what you were just saying, um, let me just clap so that there's a spike in the waveform. Um, but uh, I was asking you about how it's changed. You were telling me about how it's changed. So back in 2009, the only way for people to find out about your products really were magazines, television. So things like news programs, the Today Show or um, you know, your local news or local lifestyle programming. And as social, you know, really it started out as blogs, as bloggers became more influential, you could have bloggers cover your product or service. Mm, and then yeah. obviously that evolved into to social. But I think what the value of PR is really honing your messaging and having somebody that is a professional at messaging and knowing what's going to resonate, look at your brand and often founders and creators are so close to their own brand that it's hard for them to see maybe what is the actual big story or big idea. Sometimes they think, oh, this is the headliner. This is the, this is what we should talk about. And with sort of the way that our process works, we're able to often show founders that, oh, you know, that's a great idea. And that's one story, but the bigger story is actually this. So I think it's just for clarity and, and for, really honing your messaging, which is, which is so essential when you're launching. I mean, you know, you, you obviously write books, so language and, and the, the words you choose, you know, especially now when people's attention span is so much shorter, it's really important to make sure you're using 
the best words and, and the best phrases in the shortest amount of, of, of time. I think I'm really lucky because one of my best friends, James Carberry, he runs a podcast first media company called Sweetfish. And, um, uh, he's just naturally like, he's got, he's got like a, or really, he's really strong, uh, at copywriting and just honing messaging. And so a lot of times when, like when I was starting dinosaur house, I would go out to lunch with him and I'd be like, I'd just be brain dumping on him. I'd be like, this is what I'm trying to say. And then he would come up with like a one sentence that I'm like, man, why couldn't I think of that? (laughs) I'm like, I have lots of copywriters on staff and I'm always in such awe of the way their brain works. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, um, what would you say was like a big moment in the life of your business that, um, maybe changed, changed your business from what it was into what it is now? Or was there like a big turning point or a big success marker that you look back on and you were like, man, that was the moment when we really became what we are now? Um, There's been so many. I mean, obviously, personal milestone is is selling my fit company. It was- I want to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. um, But professionally, I mean, we we had a big pivot in 2020. Um, We decided- I think I I mentioned earlier, we decided to bring in creative services as an offering. And so that really allowed us to own the message from the beginning. You, before brands would come to us with the message and and the idea and what they wanted to get publicized. And then we would take that and amplify it and figure out how to get it on this person and on this news program and in this magazine and have influencers talking about it. Maybe we would suggest an event, but the way we pivoted in 2020 was that we really were sort of, you know, there from the beginning and we were able to shape the message from the very inception with clients. Um, and it's, it's interesting. And and that was, that's really a lesson in surrender, um, as an entrepreneur and, and being in what I call flow. Um, because I think I, I knew we needed to pivot during COVID and I couldn't really clearly see exactly what that pivot needed to be, but through, a series of events, I was introduced to a woman who had a small creative shop and we ended up essentially buying her to kind of fold into us. Mm -hmm. And it completely transformed my business. And it was really an example of working smarter, not harder. Yeah. Immediately inherited another whole suite of services that we were able to offer our existing clients, as well as go out and sort of like make noise about a new offering. And um, our creative services business is the lion's share of our business now. So that's a huge thing to just like basically acquire another business and roll it in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, where, where in, yeah, I, I I wonder how, how do you think about, um, the decision to basically buy an existing business instead of build it? Like, is there a certain, is there a certain level of success that you've got to first get to as a business owner before you do something like that? Because as an entrepreneur, the the temptation is always to go, I can build this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I tried to build it. So yeah, I agree. And I totally understand the thinking. Um, well, what I will say is my sort of best advice for entrepreneurship is to get as focused as you possibly can and get as, and that seems to be no, no issue for you, right? Like you, you, you when you want to do something, you sort of go and bulldoze through and do it and don't overthink it. But I think there's a delicate balance when you're an entrepreneur about um, 
not overextending or assuming you can do more than what you actually can do. And then you end yeah. up on the hamster wheel of, you know, never doing anything really, really well. And everything's just sort of humming along as, as good enough. And in some ways, like, you know, they always say like, you have to be okay with having something be 80%. Yep. Sometimes, right. To get, to, to get on to the next thing. But I think when you're doing, when you're trying to build a new service or offering, you better make sure that you know everything that you can about that. And frankly, I had never run a creative agency. So for me to build it from scratch at, like I said, the stakes were much higher. We were already a fairly large company and we really couldn't afford to like fail and hire all these new people and try to make something work. So I, I think the lesson in that is as entrepreneurs, you always have an end goal in mind. I think that the lesson is be open to getting there in an unconventional way. I never thought I was, I would have brought in a, a senior level person who was another business owner and had them as a part of my business. Like that was never a way that wasn't a path I even considered, but it was certainly the smarter path and really proved to be, um, very successful and, and really has made us what we are currently today and, and we're doing great. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, th for a while, I, I, I basically similarly, like I had to make a tough decision, uh, last year, the dinosaur house is not going to be a marketing company, at least not, not now. And not for a while, we're going to stay a hundred percent focused on, we are a kid's book production company. We produce great kid's books. Like we know, we know how to take an idea and make it something that kids and parents would find addicting. Uh, the marketing is going to have to go somewhere else. And so our customers were constantly like, okay, now how do I, you know, like you're going to help me market this book. Right. And when I finally got clarity on this and I was like, every customer, I'm going to tell them at the beginning, we're a kid's book production company, not a marketing company. And it's just gone so well for us because, because I've, I've drilled into their minds. You are, you are, you can either hire a marketing company for your kid's book or better yet. You are your, you are your books uh, marketing company. And um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Sometimes just as powerful to say what you're not. I think the tendency for entrepreneurs, especially in the early stages is to like never turn away business. It's sort of yeah. like if I could make money and I could maybe figure out a way to do it, but people want to work with you more when you're very clear about what you are and what you aren't. And it really legitimizes you because yeah. it doesn't feel like you're a jack of all trades. Yeah. You know, it really feels like, you know, your space and that's powerful. Agreed. How did you sell your business? Um, well, it's, we, we weren't for sale per se. My, my partner and I, we had always thought that that would be an interesting end to, to the story. Um, yeah. but we, we had been, you know, I think it was seven or eight years that we had had, had the company before somebody kind of came knocking at our door. We had had some offers early on, but they we weren't big enough to command the type of money that we would have wanted to take off the table and they really weren't the right partner. And so it really just happened organically with a customer that we worked with and it was, they knew somebody and this company approached us and it all seemed exactly to check every box of the type of partner we would want to eventually sell to one day. So I think we sold a little bit earlier than her and I had anticipated but um, it was really the right, you know, right, right timing for us. The offer was too good to refuse. And um, 
you know, it was really a funny story because we were signing the contract to sell the company and this is our baby and we were selling it outright, you know, a hundred percent, it was going to be theirs. And when you sell a service business, you often are in a contract to stay for at least three to five years. It's called an earnout. We were in yep. an earnout. We, we did a four-year earnout and we were signing the papers and we said, this is going to go amazing barring like, what could be the worst thing that happens? Like the world would have to like literally shut oh, down. Oh, jeez. I mean, halfway through that was four years, the world shut down. We were like, are you kidding me? Like, this is crazy. So, you know, it was definitely not- Does that we... jeopardize? I don't know how this world yeah, works. Yeah, it does. does. That... It, does. Okay. it jeopardizes. It jeopardizes because basically you get your final payment at the end of the contract. And so a lot of that is based on the, the performance during those four years. So when you Got have it. a year like 2020, you know, it was not our best year. <laughs> to say and so you haven't finished out the earnout? I did. I finished it out at the end of 2021. I was completely a free agent. Got it. I signed another year contract to stay on and nice. continue with the company. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. so cool. What yeah. what have you learned that you think would help entrepreneurs that are years away from being offered something that would make them want to sell? Um, a couple of things. Number one, if that is, I think it's really important to, to not get attached to an outcome, but to think about what could possibly be the outcome. Because I find that you can build towards that and sort of structure your business in such a way that that would be appealing for a buyer, which is very different than saying, I want to run this company until I'm a hundred. You know, there's two different, very different approaches to the way you would structure and run your company. So I think kind of knowing if that's even something you'd be open to, and then who would a potential buyer be, I think are good things to think about. And then the second and most important thing I think is I look back and there were so many things that I was rushed in doing and saying like, okay, I can't wait to get to the next thing. I can't wait to get to the next thing. And I wish I would have been more present because even when you get to the next thing or the end, I mean, it's exciting, but the journey was the thing that made it exciting. And those moments- I try to think about that a lot. Yeah, those moments and really staying in those moments in present because I heard a great saying that it says, you're gonna wonder how you can do it and how it's possible until you're saying you can't believe you did it. You know, yeah. like you're you're gonna ask yourself, how can I do it until you're explaining the process of it? So it happens just it's like a fast, like you you want these things, and then suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, I'm living what I said I wanted. And then you're focused on the next thing. So you're not even really enjoying it and, and being present. So I would say be present for for all of it because it's really the ride. Yeah, I think about that a lot. Because, um, you know, I've got all these aspirational goals, just did my 2023 goals uh, and habits uh, list. And um, I'll be like stressed out. I'll find myself just stressed. Out. How in the world am I going to, you know, book 120 schools this year? And it's like, this is what I'm going to look back on. I'm going to look back on fondly, fond memories of this time in my life when I was hustling and hoofing it and figuring stuff out and putting systems together and all this kind of stuff. This is what I'm going to look back on and be like, wow, I can't believe I was able to do this. And, uh, and I'm, and in my head, I'm just rushing right through it. I'm like, so focused on the goal. Absolutely. It's very important to have that perspective 
because then you miss it you miss the whole thing you know yeah it's like you forget that you're having fun like i'm i'm yeah. legitimately having fun but it's very easy to forget that when you're like well how is payroll going to get made next month i i get it <laughs> i really you know one of your habits um and maybe it is but one of the things in this early stage if i had to go back to those early days i would have said do something that feels if you have a, a milestone that you're like pumped about as an entrepreneur, you're like, okay, great. We did it. Great. Move on to the next thing, but like really celebrate it, whether yeah. that's like making your favorite dinner or like having a glass of champagne or whatever, even if it feels silly, do it because those are the moments. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do too. I don't know what your mindset is like about this stuff, but it's very easy in my mind. So like to have this sort of like at any moment, the rug is going to get pulled out from under me. So I better not celebrate. Um, and I don't like consciously think that, but that is a feeling that like, I'll find myself not celebrating a win because I'm, I'm like, well, I, if I celebrate too hard, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to not be able to react to the rug getting pulled. No, you gotta, you gotta unwind that mindset. You really do. It's with as the, the one magic thing about entrepreneurs is that mo they have momentum and momentum is energy and everything is energy. And it's, you're never, your momentum is so forward moving as an entrepreneur, you just have that drive that like, even if it's not exactly how you thought it was going to be, you're, it's going to be something like something yeah. better will happen or a different door will open, or you're going to meet somebody that tells you this thing. And you're like, Oh, it's never going to be like a disaster. It just yeah. isn't like yeah. I've, seen so many founders come through my door. Like if you have that entrepreneurial drive, you are going to make something great. It might not be exactly what you thought it was going to be, but it's going to be great. It's nice to hear that from somebody that, um, you know, signed a contract saying that business was going to continue to be successful. And then the world blew up. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cause that's the, that's been the greatest rug pull that's happened. And when I think about it, I'm like, I survived that rug pull like that. Like I tell stories about how I pivoted because of it, like Dinosaur House started because of the pandemic. Before that, I was just a touring kids book author. So now I'm a touring kids book author who also runs a kids book production company. And that wouldn't have been true if it weren't for the pandemic. Well, so, my big pivot with bringing in that creative shop that I had mentioned earlier was during the pandemic where I literally surrendered and said, I don't know how we're gonna do this. It's not gonna be the way we've done it in the past because that doesn't work right now. So show me a way and literally, I meet this person who introduces me to this person and it couldn't have, I couldn't have written it better myself. It's, it's surrender. It's so yeah. difficult, but it is, it is magic when you can, can really get there. I feel like our conversation is slowly starting to move towards sort of like the main idea behind why I started this podcast. I started the show because I wanted to ask purpose-driven entrepreneurs what it is that they feel that they're really living their life for. So when you think about a big question, like what am I living my life for? Or what do I want to be remembered for? What jumps out to you as most important? Well, um, what first part of your question, what am I living my life for? I think if right now I would say connection and connection to self and connection to others. I think connection is so important, but real true connection, not connection through, you know, Facebook or really connecting with yourself and with others. Um, I think that's right now my purpose and sort of my, my driving force. 
um it really what do you mean when you say connection like real true connection like as opposed to what listening to people really seeing people and trying to understand who they are and trying to understand how you could connect with them and and most importantly i mean you can't you can only meet somebody as deeply as you've met yourself so i think connecting to yourself and developing practices that help you do that on a you know daily basis even if it's for 2 minutes just so perspective you know it nothing is different about the world other than our perspective so how hmm. can you connect deeper to what you're meant to become like who you're meant to be in this life you can only do that by connecting to yourself so i think connection is a big theme for me this year yeah um and and something that i think is essential to enjoying the ride yeah it's one of the nice things i think about being being an entrepreneur has opened up the doors for me to connect with people that I never would have thought that I would have gotten to connect with. It's right. honestly just fun. Like I have yeah. this podcast and it's 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 like an excuse to form connections with people. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And also, you know, I think it's no surprise that or no accident, I guess that my business is all about connection and all about figuring out for a brand what they can say or do to connect with an audience and to to pull on a heartstring or a headstring, so to speak, like something logic or heartfelt that makes somebody want to buy or do or subscribe or whatever it is, you know? So I think it's just fascinating to unpack what makes people tick and how, and what makes you tick and how can you connect with somebody um, on a level where you can meet why is that so important to you that it's one of the things you want to hang your life on? Because I, I, I believe that we're all here to become the best, highest version of ourselves. And I think until you really connect deeply with yourself and understand yourself and why you do the things you do and, you know, what, where your blind spots are as much as you possibly can, it's really difficult to evolve to the next level. Yeah. Um, you said first part of my question. So I guess the other part of my question, and a lot of a lot of people don't have an answer to this question, but I'm curious if you do, is what do you want to be remembered for when you die? You know, I think I would want to be remembered for being a great mom. Mm. So I have a seven-year-old daughter and I think raising and cultivating a, a another human being to live on this earth, to be a member of society and being, you know, that job is just so important to me that I think being, being, if somebody could ever give me a compliment that would really deeply land, it would be like, wow, you're a great mom. That is just like, you know, mm. really so, um, so essential to, to my life. Well, you're already a great mom. I can tell just because you care about being a great mom. And so that already sets you apart from so many. Well, um, I'm curious how you think about like, so you said your daughter is seven. Yeah. One of the fears that I have around parenting is having, this is funny because you talked about connection, but one of the fears that I have around parenting is that I would not have a good connection with my kid through the different phases of their life. And this comes from the fact that I don't feel like I've had a great connection with my parents through the different phases yeah. of my life. Like they're like basically like a young adulthood, um, things kind of split off as I started to become my own person. And, uh, yeah, things have never quite gotten back to um, really solid, like what I want. Uh, and so that's a huge fear for me. How do you think about that? Like, how do you think about 
the way your connection to your daughter is going to go as she goes into being a preteen and then a teenager and then an adult? Or have you thought much about that? Oh, yeah, I've thought a lot about it. Um, you know, I think one of the or like the cornerstone to my parenting philosophy is really detachment, which I know sounds a little bit interesting and weird for, for a parenting philosophy. But, you know, I believe that our children on this planet are kind of the planet's children and that children come through you, but they're not of you. So I, I find that a lot of times when relationships get severed, there's a lot of judgment and a lot of kind of like ego in, I wanted you to do something different, or I wanted you to be different because there's some sort of weird reflection that you're a reflection of them. And I try to really leave that at the door and look at mm. my daughter as like, a per just like I would anyone else, like what's unique and different about her? Yes, mm. of course. Like I was lucky enough to be her kind of chaperone through this early stage of her life, but I always want to look, want to give her the flexibility and freedom to be whoever it is that she wants to be and really just be like a cheerleader for that. And I think I'm sure that there'll be ebbs and flows as, you know, as she grows up, um, but really yeah. not have attachment to like, what does that connection look like? Like, you know, some moms get sad if their kid's not calling them every day, or some parents get upset if you don't do this, but really just sort of like throwing that to the side and figuring out what is the right sort of cadence and relationship at that period of time with that person. Cause they're a unique yeah. person with their own yeah. blueprint. Yeah. It's like, you've got the stewardship of being her mom, but you're not in charge of who she's going to become as a person. Exactly. And by the way, if like me to think I could influence her to be a singer or a, or a math, good at math. Like it's just, I look at it. It's just almost like laughable to me when parents are like, well, I'm putting them in, you know, rigorous piano. Cause I want them to be a whatever. Like, I mean, to think now as an adult, like I was going to be who I was going to be regardless. Like, yes, my parents created the environment for me to thrive, but like, I was never going to be a doctor, like <laughs> make no mistake, you know? So it's yeah. just really, really um, keeping that in the forefront of like, this person has their own soul's mission and you're just the first, first one in line to witness it, which is so cool. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. I like that. You're they, they have their own soul's mission. Like you're not the one creating what their soul's mission is going to be. Well, I, I guess that's your philosophy anyways. Maybe, maybe I'll interview somebody that thinks completely differently, but I, I appreciate that. Um, I have two for fun questions for you, Stacey. This has been a really fun conversation. My two for fun questions for you are, so one of them is I'm a kid's book author. I believe that part of uh, leaving a legacy, having an impact means reaching kids. What's a topic or idea you would make a kid's book about if you could? You know what? I'm going to be boring and say connection. Okay. What, yeah, what, a, I, what specifically about connection? Are you like, man, I really want to make sure that kids understand this. I think that I am really passionate about empowering kids to listen to themselves and to find that voice that often gets tampered by society, especially now with social media and comparison and, you know, being able to have access to so much information. I think it really um, starts even younger now where we're giving up our, we're always looking outward. What are they doing? What should I be doing? What's, what's, you know, what's the right way. And I think we're missing the looking inward part. Um, and it, just, especially with kids, I see and nothing against devices, but you know, kids don't have time to even 
do that anymore because they're they're no, getting a there's all, it's now. it's weird their, their their internal life is being eaten up by social media completely and so you know even things as simple as just a small example I'll give you we I my daughter lost a tooth and she I showed her a picture that I and I thought I was doing something really cool by showing her a picture of like this very realistic looking tooth fairy and I was like look this is the real tooth fairy because I wanted her to think it's real I mean she's totally like the most imaginative kid. And she looked at it for a long time and she was like, huh, I thought the tooth fairy looked different. And I was like, really, why? And she's like, I thought she had a bun and a, and she described her to the T of what was in her mind. And I was like, ah, I shouldn't have showed her that picture because I just robbed her of- She'd be like, oh, this was the tooth fairy's friend. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But it just was so interesting because I thought I was like, doing something so cool to be like, oh my God, I caught a picture of the tooth fairy on the Nest camera. Like, look, she's so like real, but she she was never questioning if she was real. And she had like this whole story made up about who she was and what she looked like. And I was like, oh, did I just take that away from her? But I just think it's so important that we encourage kids through books, through, you know, quiet time, through imaginative play to like really turn inward. Yeah. Trust themselves. So- my last for fun question for you, Stacey, is what is something that you currently suck at that a year from now you want to be great at? Ooh. Um, okay, well, it's not something that I suck at, but um, I want to be better at is listening. I, I think that listening gives you so many answers. And especially in the job that I do, I'm such a communicator and that's my, what I do by trade. So I'm used to filling the space and communicating. And so I think this, at this point in my life, I'm really ready to just get a little bit more quiet and listen and see what that will teach me. What have you figured out so far? And when it comes to like, in what way you need to get better at listening? Like for me, for example, I talk over people and I will often interrupt with my own thoughts. It can make for better podcast episodes. It does not make for good sales conversations though. Right. Um, or probably, you know, I don't know. Or lots are, of other kinds of conversations. Yeah, like there's so many things, right? Um, you know, I just think that at this point in my life, I'm very interested in human behavior and why people do what they do and where they came from. And, you know, what? how does that influence, especially now that I have a daughter, I'm really focused on understanding people's early years to see sort of yeah. how that influenced them. And I think when you're just more quiet people will tell you the wildest things <laughs> yeah so you know just being a good listener like an active participating listener it's such a skill that i think we we don't really develop here in this country very very well so i think that's something that you know i'd love to be better at awesome i love it this has been a great conversation stacy thank you so much for being on my show where would you want listeners to connect with you well um i I don't have much of a social presence, but okay. the, at, at group.com is my company's website and it has a lot of our work there and, and we're at the narrative group on Instagram and awesome. we have a lot of cool stuff. That awesome. Cool. Up. I'll link it in the description. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Oh, great. I really enjoyed it. Same. 